0: I'm Gary Chevalier, a Connections pastor at Parkway Fellowship's West Park location. I pray today you're uplifted and encouraged by the truth of God's word that you're about to hear and apply it to your daily life. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at connections at parkwayfellowship.com. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? You awake? You get enough coffee? Get going here? I know that time change It hit me. I mean, the, the blessing of a cell phone that does it for you is great, but it doesn't... Change the fact that you still lost an hour of your life as you were asleep, and so it's it's still painful when it hit. I don't know if you felt that way this morning, but that's the way I felt when it hit me. But I'm, I'm excited to be here with you today. I'm excited to continue our conversation around this topic of what would Jesus undo. It, you know, if if you were here last week and you remember, Pastor Mike talked about. A lack of urgency, that, that Jesus wanted to undo a lack of urgency. And I hope that this week you, you're wearing your wristband and you're remembered to think about those things and remember that the people that God's put in your life are there for a reason, that it's not by mistake. And so hopefully you, you looked at those things in a new light this, w- this week and helped to undo that lack of urgency that we all kind of struggle with at times. But today we're going to dive into a topic of hollow worship. What would Jesus like to undo? He'd like to undo hollow worship in our life. And so what does that mean? And to get started here, it makes me think of a question. Have you ever had something in your life that you were so consumed with? Something that you were like obsessed with? It took a lot of your time and your energy and your attention and your thoughts and your money, and you just dug into this thing it, to, to a level that's like, wow, you are obsessed. Well, for me, as I think back over my life, there was one thing in particular that rises above all of them, and that was an obsession with this guy right here, number 23, Michael Jordan. Yeah, the best of the best. It's don't even have that conversation, okay? So the, the reality was I was obsessed with this guy. I mean, I had all the videos, all the highlight films, and um, I don't know if you, if you were like me. Um, this was back when I was in middle school and high school, and my obsession with him was, was at its strongest. Um, and, you know, I had those videos, Uh, Michael Jordan's playground, NBA superstars, and those of you who know what I'm talking about, NBA superstars, each one of the the athletes, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, all those guys, they had a theme song. Well, Michael Jordan's was that famous moment in Top Gun where the Jets are taking off, and it starts off with him doing this free throw dunk right here you're about to see. Yep, that famous free throw dunk. That was that he's known for. As he won the dunk contest that year, I mean, I absolutely loved the guy. I would watch those videos. I would hit pause. I would go out in the driveway and I'd work on those moves and those dunks and those. And you're like, oh, you were dunking? Hey, it was an eight foot goal. Okay, give me a break. But on that eight foot goal, I could be like Mike. I'm telling you. Well, I mean, I had 22 posters in my bedroom. 21 of them were Michael Jordan. I know I'm not, you can tell right there, I'm not attention to detail. I should have had 23. Somebody pointed that out to me just a few minutes ago. Okay, I had 21 of Michael Jordan. One, I threw a bone to Dominique Wilkins. He threw down some pretty awesome dunks. So I had one of him, but I mean, I was completely obsessed to the point that all throughout middle school and high school, my teachers, my English teachers, sorry if you're an English teacher, you know, I had all these books that I was supposed to read. And you know, I can honestly confess, I never read a single one of them cover to cover. But I did, I did read, I could read, and I did read one book cover to cover, and it was a biography of Michael Jordan. It was 201 pages, I remember it very well. That was a long book for me because I didn't read much. Um, but I was obsessed with this guy. Now for you, maybe, maybe your obsession wasn't with this Michael. Maybe it was Michael Jackson. Do you remember the videos and the things of Michael Jackson? People just would go absolutely nuts just to get a glimpse of him. And maybe, maybe this is a, a dating myself and others in the room, and maybe you can't really relate to these people so much, but maybe your obsession is with Steph Curry. Pretty cool photo I found with Michael Jordan right there. You like that? So um, <laughs> just reminding him of who the best is. Um, but, you know, Steph Curry, maybe your obsession is with Steph Curry. Or maybe maybe you're not a sports fan. Maybe it's the Kardashians. See, I don't have a photo of that, so we can't do that. We're in church. All right, we're in church. Remember that, okay? So, um, but I don't know what your obsession is. There could be lots of different things. And, and maybe it was, maybe you think back over the years, your obsession was actually with a girlfriend or a boyfriend that consumed all of your time and your energy and your money or maybe, maybe, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, maybe I haven't had that many obsessions over the years that, that, that really were to that level, but, you know, this thing called Netflix that came around is really grabbing my attention. My wife and I, we lay in bed, and we're watching, and we're just like, just one more. Just one more. 1 a.m. turns into 2 a.m. 2 a.m. turns into 3 a.m., and you're both like, we got to go to work tomorrow. What's happening? Or maybe, maybe your obsession is something you know else. Maybe, maybe it's with safety. Maybe you, you're, you're, you're that mom that she's try, you're trying to continually protect your family, and you have this, all these things in your life to keep everything so safe and put your family in this bubble. And we live in this culture that everything in our culture is focused on how can we make it more safe. Maybe that's what you struggle with. Maybe it's a job. You're obsessed with your job. You see, When we think about these things, when we think about these idols in our life, and we don't like that term, that term makes us feel uncomfortable when we think about an idol. When I think about Michael Jordan being my idol, it makes me feel uncomfortable because that's the thing of the past. That's like these other cultures that worshipped idols. But the reality is, I think I offered hollow worship to Michael Jordan over the years. That was something that I struggled with. And when you think about your life and you think about the things that consume your time and your energy and your finances and your thoughts, oftentimes God comes in second place at best. And we got to undo that. So if we're going to define hollow worship today, we're going to define it as this. Hollow worship is prioritizing anything over God. When I prioritize anything in my life over God, I'm offering hollow worship to that. And let's, let's take a moment here, and I want us to look at an example from Jesus' life, because we're talking about what would Jesus like to undo. And Jesus had some temptations in his life, and he was tempted to offer hollow worship to other things, prioritize other things over God. And so we're going to open up your Bibles. If you have your Bibles or you want to follow along on the screen, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 today, starting in verse 8. But before we dive in there, just get you a little background on what's going on. Jesus had just been baptized by John the Baptist. When he came up out of the waters, Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove and a voice from heaven called out, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Then the Holy Spirit led Jesus away to the wilderness and for 40 days he fasted and he prayed. And at the end of that time he was weak and he was hungry and that's when Satan showed up. He entered the picture and that's where we see Satan laying out these temptations in front of Jesus, and we're going to pick up with the third one today. It says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now, you may be sitting here thinking, like, what kind of temptation is this for Jesus? He's the Son of God. He rules the world, right? Like, this, how much of a temptation can this actually be for a guy like that? But you see, the reason Jesus came into the world was to rescue it, to rescue us back from the grips of Satan and the temptations he lays out in front of us. And Je- Je- Jesus knew that Satan had people's hearts. And so Satan's like, look, hey, Jesus, I know you're coming here, and you're coming to do your Father's will, but listen, I got a shortcut for you. I've got an easier way. You don't have to deal with all that. There's an easier way to have these people. All you got to do is bow down and worship me, and you can have it all. But Satan... Satan does that to all of us, doesn't he? He likes to dangle out these things in front of us, the bait that he dangles in front of us, and we we get tempted by it and, and we want to take hold of it, and we think that that thing, if I get that thing, it's going to change my life. And you get that thing, and then you start to realize you still feel hollow and empty inside. You know, it's like that new car you get. You spend time and time and hours researching what kind of car should I get? What kind of leather seats should I get in it? What, what all the bells and whistles do I want on it? And you get it, and you start driving it to work, and it feels awesome. And you finally have that day where you're like, okay, today's the day. I'm actually going to ride in my car with coffee. <laughs> and you get there. And you reach over to grab it as you're getting out and you spill it all over that new leather seat. And you're so frustrated with yourself and you're angry. And you find yourself actually longing for your old car with no car payment that already had the stains that you didn't care about. But you got so wrapped up in this thing that you thought was going to bring you happiness and you realize it leaves us feeling hollow and empty. You know, I still remember the day when Michael Jordan let me down. I remember the day. I idolized the guy. Not only the way he played, I idolized the way that it seemed as though he lived his life. But the reality was, when I found out that his marriage fell apart, when I found out that he was actually, from what I hear, a really terrible trash talker on the court, when I found out about his gambling addiction, those things Man, it broke my heart, and I realized this thing that I was hoping in, this this guy that I looked up to, he was something of hollow worship for me, and it left me feeling empty inside, and I don't know about you, I don't know about you, but there's something in your life, I'm sure, that you have experienced this over the years, or maybe you're in the middle of it right now, there's something that you're offering that hollow worship to, you're prioritizing something else over God. So how does Jesus want to undo the hollow worship in my life? How does he want to do that? Well, he continues on in Matthew 4, verse 10. It says, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. Do you hear his tone? He's like, away from me. Get away. Get out of here. I don't want anything to do with you. So if I'm going to undo hollow worship in my life, the first thing I have to do is reject, reject Satan's lie that life will be better when. I have to reject Satan's lie that life will be better when. When I get that thing. When I get married. When I get that job. When I, when I, when I, when I. I, it, It just continues on. We get those things. And yeah, they feel good for a moment. But they often leave us feeling hollow and empty. It's that whole greener grass syndrome. You know, that life will be better when. And yet, we all know that's not the way it often works out. So what are areas of my life I am most tempted to offer hollow worship to? That's a question I want you to consider today. What are the areas of your life that you're tempted to offer hollow worship to? For me, it's some things a little bit more subtle than than my obsession with Michael Jordan. For me, I noticed over the years, I absolutely love to work out. I love to exercise. Now, for some of you, that may be strange. Others of you are like, man, I I totally get you. But here's the deal. In in my life, I have become completely obsessed with it at different times, that I would go to bed excited about waking up at 5 a.m. to go exercise to the point that I go to bed like looking at what I'm going to do the next morning. I don't even sleep good sometimes because I'm so excited about working out the next day. I know that's strange. But this is me. You got your stuff. That's my stuff, okay? But you know what I started to realize over time? When I go to bed more excited about getting up to work out than I do about waking up and spending time with the Lord in prayer, reading God's Word, I know I've got things in the wrong order. I begin offering this hollow worship to working out, the way it makes me feel. I like to push my body to a limit that, that just doesn't seem like it makes sense, and it's fun, but I do this thing that it, it becomes an obsession and it's not good. Even though exercise is good, we all know that. But I've taken it to a level that's not healthy. And I, I don't know what it is for you, but I think those are the Satan's best tactics. He takes something good in our life and he can, he can spin it in a way in our life that it gets up here to this level that God now is at second place or maybe third in our life. And it's something we have to wrestle with. And I don't know, I, I know one of the things that I, I, I struggle with even today is that whole social media thing. Not even posting on it. I hardly ever post anything because honestly, I don't like it, but I still find myself sitting there scrolling, 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 looking at nothing, looking at people's dinner, looking at like, <laughs> I, I don't know. And I'm like, why am I wasting this time? But I do it again and again. And what if I spent more time scrolling the pages of God's word rather than scrolling the lives of other people? It's something I wrestle with. So after rejecting Satan's lie, what's next? What do we do next? Well, let's continue reading. It says, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Basically, Jesus is saying, away from me, Satan. I'm focused on him and that's it. I'm about God's will in my life and nothing else. Now, Jesus is actually quoting the Old Testament here. It's it's fascinating how he does this as he battles Satan in these temptations. And he's going back to a time when Moses is actually writing to, speaking to the Israelite people. And they had just come out of slavery of 400 years in Egypt, living in a culture that worshiped anything and everything except God. They worshiped anything and everything except God, and Moses was reminding them no, you're to worship our Creator, the one true God, and Him alone. Does it sound familiar to you? A culture that worships anything but God? I think our culture today is very similar. Some of it's obvious, some of it's very subtle. But again, things grab our attention. Now, maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, I I want to put an end to hollow worship in my life. So what does true and proper worship look like? What does true and proper worship look like in my life? Well, I think the apostle Paul says it best in the book of Romans chapter 12, and we're going to read that in just a moment. But the apostle Paul, just to remind you, he wrote 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. It's a pretty big deal. And I know sometimes in our life we can think about Jesus and like, man, the example that he set is unattainable, like he was the son of God. And there's an element of what you're saying and thinking that is true. It is unattainable, but through him, we have life and a way back to the father. And there's some guys in this book that we get to read that they wrote for us and we could see how they wrestled with life and how they chose to follow after God no matter what. Paul was completely sold out for Jesus and he wasn't the son of God. He was just a guy like you and me. And here's what he writes, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So true and proper worship is remembering God's mercies as it flows from a heart of gratitude. Remembering God's mercy as it flows from a heart of gratitude. you see what he says right there? He says, in view of God's mercy. Remembering what God has done for you. He sent his son to the earth. He left heaven. He came here because he loved you first. He lived a perfect life, showed you how to live, showed you how to love your enemies, showed you how to forgive people when they don't deserve forgiveness because he loved you first. He was willing to lay down his life for you. He took his life back up again for you by rising from the dead, giving us a hope and eternal life. He loved you that much. So, as we remember God's mercies and it flows from a heart of gratitude, it's because we're thankful for what he's done in our lives. You know, one of the things my wife has done within our family that has been a blessing to our family since we moved back from Uganda. You know, in our time in Uganda, we absolutely loved being with the people there. God taught us so much. You know, we went over there thinking we were going to help people, and really God was going to do a big work in us. And one of the things that we did a lot while we were in Uganda was ate beans and rice. We ate a lot of beans and rice. It was easy to get. It was cheap. It was things we ate when we went to the village to visit friends. It was things we ate in our home. And so when we moved back, my wife said, you know what? I want us to remember those people. I want us to remember our friends. I want us to remember what God did in our lives while we're there. So we're going to eat beans and rice one day a week for dinner. That's going to be our meal. And we're going to remember and pray for those people. And she got a little chalkboard and inspired our dining room table. She drew the, the map of Africa on there and she drew where Uganda was. And she started writing names of our friends, our family that lives over there. And our kids would write names. And when we sit and we eat and we eat the beans and rice, we remember what God did in our lives. And we remember the people that we love and we pray for them. You see, that is true and proper worship. You know, a lot of times we think of our moments in here as worship, and it is, and this is a huge thing, but God wants us to worship him with our lives every day, all the time out there. So I don't know what it is for you. Maybe, maybe for you, the idea of the beans and rice, maybe there's some things that you can do to remember what God has done and help drive your family into a deeper relationship and dependence on him. You know, when we come together, we just did it. We took communion. That whole thing was instituted by the Son of God for us to remember him giving his body and shedding his blood for us on the cross. And that's one of the blessings that we get to take together each week when we remember. But there's ways we can take that and we can do things like that out there in our lives and remember what God's done and remember his mercies. Paul continues on there and he says, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, that, that term seems a bit confusing, a living sacrifice. Sacrifice is usually, that means something dies, and he's saying living, and so what is, he, what is he talking about there? And, you know, thank goodness Jesus came, and he was that living sacrifice. He gave his life for us, but he took his life back up again. And so what does it mean for us to live our lives as a living sacrifice. And I think it's good for us to go back and think about the sacrificial system in the Old Testament before Christ came. Because you see, they were challenged to bring their best to the temple when they came to worship God. They brought their best lamb, not the one that was, that was sick or maybe about to die or the old one that was, that was about to go anyway. They had to trust God and give him their best. They gave him the best of their first fruits, the crops that came out of the ground first, the best they gave him. And so when I think about my life and think about what is the best I can offer to God, that's the second part of our true and proper worship is to give God my best. I've got to give God my best. And I think the first step in giving God your best is with your attention. Because there's so many things we could talk about giving God your best. But if he doesn't have your attention, it's not going to flow in to the other parts of your life. So when for you is the best part of your day to give God your undivided attention? When is it for you? For me, it's the morning. I already show, showed that. I'm a morning person. Maybe for you, you're a night owl. You're a night person. You know, I, I had a friend one time told me, he said, you know, I'm not a morning person or a night person. So I guess I'm just not a person. I'm like, you don't get off that easy. <laughs> you're some kind of person. You may be a midday person, but you're some kind of person. So decide, think about it. What's your best time of day? What's your prime time? Give God your attention in that moment every day. And what if we got a little bit crazy? What if we went beyond just giving God just that moment? You know, again, in the Old Testament, Moses is teaching the Israelites. And again, they're they're still trying to wrap their mind around this whole thing of serving the one true God, because they've been in this culture that was confusing, serving all these other things. And he said to them, listen, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and teach this to your kids when they walk along the way, when you get up, when you lay down, all throughout the day. And if you start doing that, if you start making God a priority in your life at that level, I promise you, it's going to affect the way that you treat your spouse. It's going to affect the way that you raise your kids. It's going to affect the way that you interact with your coworkers. It's going to affect the way that you interact with the waitress that is taking forever to bring you your meal. It's going to affect the way you interact with the world if you'll choose to give Him your undivided attention. You may be sitting here saying, whoa, Will, like you're getting a little bit carried away with this whole Jesus thing. Like, seriously, chill out a little bit. But the deal is, the guys that wrote this book, they didn't chill out. They didn't say, hey, we're gonna go to the temple one day a week, we're gonna worship God, and we're gonna go about fishing again, doing our business. No. They said, this is the reason we're alive, is to share what God taught us in his life when he walked on the earth and they wrote it down and we have it to look at and guide us in our life. And so thank God that Jesus said, I love you guys enough that I'm going to leave the perfect place with my father and come suffer and die for you because I love you that much. Thank God that Peter and John and Paul were willing to sacrifice their life so that we could know who Jesus was and who he is. God gave his best to you. Are you willing to give your best to him? It's a big deal, but that's what he wants from us. He doesn't want our leftovers. He wants our best. And it starts with your attention. Now, I don't know about you. If you're here today, maybe you're sitting here saying, you know what? I haven't given him my undivided attention. I haven't even asked Jesus to take over my life yet. And you may be wondering even how you do that. Well, listen, Jesus, while he walked on the earth, he had a friend. And that friend's name was John. He had a lot of friends, but one guy in particular, he was super close to, and his name was John. And John actually wrote down a lot of information about Jesus' life. And we find it in, in the Gospels, it's the book of John. And in John chapter three, verse 16, he said, for God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And that's what he did for you. If you haven't asked Jesus to take over your life, all you got to do is believe that message. And you can do that by praying a prayer that you'll find on the back of your message notes or one like it. Ask Jesus to take over your life. He desperately wants to. He's knocking. Are you willing to answer? He's there. He wants you to come to him and let him guide your life. I want to go ahead and invite our band to come back up on the stage. And while they're doing that, let's talk about this moment that we have in here each week. The opportunity for us to worship God together. To pour out our gratitude and thanks for him, to take communion together. You know, we spend a lot of time each week preparing this moment so that you can be fired up and you can leave here and you can go live for Jesus 24 7 out there. But you know what? The way that you live for Jesus out there, the way that you give him your time and attention directly affects the way you worship him in here. They go hand in hand, they work both ways. So our goal and our hope is that this helps you draw strength as you go out there. But it's not going to sustain you for six days. So you got to dig in to God throughout the week. And when you come back in here, you're going to be so fired up about what God's doing, you can't wait to sing his praises and thank him for what he's doing in your life. Now, we're going to sing a couple songs together. And this first song that we're going to sing is by a guy named Matt Redmond. Matt Redmond's a worship pastor, and a number of years ago, Matt's Senior pastor came to him and he said, hey Matt, I'm a little bit concerned about our worship. Not anything that you're doing wrong. I just feel like the hearts of the people are just going through the motions. Or maybe they're even coming here for the entertainment value of our worship and they're not really here to sing and pour their hearts out to God. So I want to strip it all away. I want to strip it back to our voices. I want us to just sing and lift our voices to God, pour our hearts out to him, and thank him for what he's doing in our lives. Not that all this other stuff is bad, but I just want to get back to the simplicity of our voices, and us, and God. And so Matt started thinking, because he was like, you know what, honestly, this makes me a little bit uncomfortable, because this is like my job, this is what I do, so now you're asking me not to do all of those things. But he started thinking and praying about it, and God placed some words on his heart and he began to write them down and he wrote this song we're going to sing right now the heart of work thank you so much for joining our weekly podcast from the sunday morning experience if you have questions please reach out at connections at parkwayfellowship.com have a great week